There are signs all around us that give us an idea of what's expected when we show up someplace. Restaurants have signs that say, uh, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Never quite understood why they don't say pants also, but... You go into a doctor's office and it may say, you know, come here, fill out this form, then be seated. It may say, pay ahead of time, even before you get the service, which is interesting. But there are signs all around us that give those indications, and some of them we create. Some of you have probably had some signs around your house and you haven't even thought about it. Because I've been in a lot of houses, and I remember specifically my brother-in-law at a house they had on a lake that we would often gather with his family and his kids and grandkids and, you know, have a good time there at the lake. And there was one place, one doorway that had signs on it. The signs consisted of a line and a name and a date. It was the height of the grandkids at various ages and stages. And it was interesting to watch them when they would show up because they always wanted to get measured because they were sure they had grown a little. And some of them enhanced it. They just rose up just a little. When he sold that house a number of years later, he took that door frame out and kept it because of what it represented the growth of those kids physically. So what would it look like if we could get a peek into heaven and see the door frame where God has been measuring your spiritual growth? Not as a competition, like some of those grandkids did to see if they were higher than their cousin but just to see if there's any growth. What would yours look like? Would it still be the same as it was a year ago? Or 20 years ago? Would there be a huge jump because of what's happening in your life? Now, growth is difficult to measure sometimes when it comes to our spiritual condition and our relationship with Christ. But it's one of those that whether you can define it or not, you know it when you see it. Some of you have grown and don't realize it and others around you need to let you know, oh, I've seen this in you. Well, this morning we're taking a look for the second time at this whole thing of growth as we're looking at who we are as a church and what we identify as our purpose and mission and vision to connect, to grow, and to serve. And we looked a couple of weeks at this whole thing of connection, which is relationships. Starting with our relationship with Christ and with each other and the world. Two weeks ago, we took a look at the beginning of this with growth. And last week, we had a wonderful interruption with the student from Olivet. And thank you so much for welcoming him and blessing him. When I had said, you know, if you want to bless him, remember he's a poor college kid and slip him a little money. You guys were awesome. He was in awe. In fact, at one point, he looked at me and he said, what do I do with all of this? 
And I said, say thank you, put it in your wallet and use it. <laughs> so thanks for encouraging him. This morning we're taking a look at growth again, the uncomfortable truth of growth. So if you have your Bibles or looking at your Bible on your devices or you're grabbing the Bible in the chair, under the chair in front of you, we're looking in the New Testament in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. It's a letter written to the churches of Galatia. Nothing fancy about the title. <laughs> and we're looking in chapter 2 at two verses. Now, one of the things we haven't said for a while, and I just want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible underneath the chairs, there should be about every other one a, a Bible, and there's some multicolored ones. Those are New International Versions, and there's a few places where they have one of these. We've just begun to put in. But if you don't have a Bible, take that with you when you go. That's why they're there. The black ones are ESV, which is what I generally read out of. Either one of those, wherever, we encourage you to take a look at the Word or the Word on your Bible app on your phone. But in Galatians chapter 2, these two verses, verses 20 and 21, is the focus. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. If justification or salvation was through the law, following the rules and regulation, then Jesus didn't need to die. That's what it's saying. But it indicates Paul is giving his testimony as through God's inspiration, he is giving this to the church in Galatia and to us today. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, Two weeks ago when we looked at this, we looked in Mark chapter 4 and we looked at the parable of the sower, the farmer who was scattering seed, planting seed so that he could get a harvest. And we looked at the fact that there are several factors that come into play there. There's the sower and in that case it's God, although in following Christ we're to be sowers as well. The seed is the gospel, it's the truth of salvation and the soil is the reception. That's us. That's anyone who hears and sees the word. But there's also a struggle because it says that some of the seed just didn't do anything. It, it landed on hard soil, hard hearts, lives, and minds. And there was some that it hit and immediately it took hold and started to show something. There was just no depth. One of those mile wide and an inch deep things. And as soon as any opposition came, man, it just died and withered. And it talked about some that landed in soil and took good root and began to grow and produce, but the struggles of life eventually began to choke it and reduce it. Some of you identify with that, don't you? And then it talked about the good soil, that receptive, where when the root gets down there and the, the nutrition, the, the sun, the rain, the water 
lands in there and that it grows and produces from 20, 30, 60, 100 fold. It's seeing revival is what that's describing. A sweeping revival. And I asked you two weeks ago where you were in that story. Were you in a hard place? A shallow place? A thorny place? Or a good place? Were you helping others to grow or choking them? Were you scattering seed as well? This morning what we're looking at is this truth. That to grow, you must die first. Now that seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But go back to the story of the sower. Any gardener or farmer will tell you that a seed that gets planted dies so that it can open up and then produce life. It dies to what it once was, the seed, to become what it could be and was intended to be the plant. The same is true for us. So in order to grow in a relationship with Christ, there must be a death. There must be a death to self and to our way and our will. See, we have to recognize that for that seed to grow, it had to die. And the same is true for us. If we're really going to grow in our faith with Christ, if we're really going to live in the way that he desires and designed us to, if we're going to live beyond our own means, not depending just on ourself, but totally dependent upon God, his will, his way, then we have to die. That's a really uncomfortable and unpopular truth. Probably wouldn't do a whole lot of good to have signs and billboards outside saying, come in and learn how to die. But that's really what this is. That's the uncomfortable truth. Is that in order to grow, we must die first. For you see, if you are living in dependence on yourself, if you are living that way, you're not actually following Christ. You're asking him to follow you. See, if you're doing it your way, that means you're not doing it his way which means you're saying, come on, come with me, Jesus. Oh, I would never do that. You're doing it if you haven't died to yourself to surrender to him. That's the uncomfortable truth of growth. And that word crucified, it, we, we, don't, we don't understand it like they would have at the time that this was written. That's not a, a known capital punishment, at least in our part of the world, and I don't even hear about it in too many other places, even in more barbaric places. But crucifixion is one of the cruelest forms of death man ever created. But it is one of those that leaves no doubt. If someone is crucified, they will die. Jesus was crucified. We're going to look at this in seven weeks. And we, our invitations just came in this week. I'm excited. I'm, I'm 
forcing myself to hold back and giving them to you so you can pass them out for Easter. But that's what Easter is all about, is understanding what Jesus did, dying on the cross, being buried in the grave, and then rising again so that we have life. That's what crucifixion is picturing. Now, in this verse, in verse 20 of Galatians 2, this verse, the word crucified, means to be identified with Christ. When it says, I have been crucified with Christ, I'm now in identity with him because I'm dying as well. But it means literally to be, the word that's used, the Greek word that's used there means to be crucified with someone else. Not just crucified, but crucified with. And that's what it means when we come to Christ and when we fully surrender, we have been crucified with Christ. Not from him, but with him. Dying to ourself as he died for our sins. You see, crucifixion always means death. The Romans perfected it. In Roman culture, anybody who was an insurrectionist, anybody against the state, anybody against uh, those in power would be crucified. And it was always a public crucifixion, at least from everything I've read, so that others could see and witness it. They thought that would be a deterrent if you walked by and saw somebody crucified. Probably had some truth to it. It was certainly not something that was pretty. Same thing is true when we surrender. In the surrender, it's kind of ugly because we're laying everything out there. Nothing was hidden when someone was crucified. The same is true when we do it spiritually. Laying it all out there. Admitting and confessing. But we have to understand what this death is about and what it means. This death, and in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh here, physically, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No matter what you're facing, no matter what anyone else has told you, no matter what your background or family is, there is one who loves you unconditionally. Right where you are, just like you are. But he loves you so much. He wants to see the change and growth happen in you. He loves you too much to just let you think that's all there is. You see, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is we look at a cross and realize it represents the crucifixion of Christ. But you see, that cross is empty. He's not up there still. And we don't take adventures and vacations and holy trips to see his grave because he's not there he has risen that's what the gospel is and that's what his crucifixion did and we've been called to the same 
we, we're, we can't save somebody else. He has done the salvation. We are identifying, accepting it personally. That crucifixion means death. This was one of the hardest sermons to outline that I've preached in a long time, if not ever. And the outline was written yesterday because I couldn't figure out how to write it. And I told Jody, this doesn't really fit into an outline. So bear with me. To grow in Christ, we have to be in Christ and Christ in us. And for that to happen, we have to die to ourself. You see, what we're looking at is, it means death to anything and everything that interferes with your life and relationship with Jesus Christ. I think I left a word out on your outline, but art to anything that interferes with your life with Christ. So let me explain that a little further in case you're wondering. Death to anything and everything means dying to self, who I am. Now that goes against our culture, doesn't it? It goes against all the advertising. Be who you want to be. You know, find yourself, etc. But the gospel says lose yourself so that you find Christ. Then you become who he created and designed you to be. This death that represents growth means a dying to myself. In other words, it's not all about me. Let me say that one again. Because this flies directly in the face of our culture. Growth in Christ comes when we die to self because following Christ means it's not all about me. It's about him. And he's worthy. We're not. In him we become worthy, but it's because of who he is, not who we are. Not because of what we've done. And there are interesting factors. David Platt described it this way in his book, Radic um, anyway, one of his radical books. I forget which one it is. Radical Together, I think. But he said that there are some who are confusing the gospel with earning it. They are serving, working, striving to obey Christ. And that's a good thing. The problem is they're doing it out of obligation and compulsion because they think that's what saves them. No. What Jesus did on the cross and in an empty grave is what saves you. You and I can never do enough good things to earn our salvation. And then there are those who say, it's by faith through grace alone. So I, grace through faith alone, I don't have to do anything. No, that's not true either. That's like a couple that comes together at a wedding and in their vows, they say, I promise to do what I want when I want for as long as I want. I now marry you. 
I've never heard couples say that, but I've watched them do that. And it never works. It doesn't work following Christ. Lord, thank you for saving me. Now leave me alone until I need you. No. This crucifixion, it means death to self, which means death to your own will. Not my will. Even Jesus prayed this before he went to the cross. Not my will, but yours be done, he said to the Father. It's what we need to pray regularly. Lord, not my will, but yours. And the beauty is, when you grow in Christ, you get to the point to where you no longer care about your will, only his will, so that his will becomes yours. That's awesome. Death to self, death to our own will. Here's the hardest one for some of you. Don't point to anybody when I say this one. But for some of you, this is the hardest one. It means death to control. I heard a groan. <laughs> death to control. I've told you, I have a book in my library. I've never read it. I just love the title. It says, help, I'm married to a control freak. I bought it. Not for the way you're thinking right now. I bought it so Jody wouldn't see it because I didn't want her to read it. Death to control. How do you handle things when you're not in control? How do you handle things when you're not in control and they're not going the right way? Which means your way. I mean, there's a lot of businesses in town that would be so much better off if they would just let me do it for them. You've thought the same thing. But what about life? To be in control, it is to give him control, not us. It's death to control, death to self, death to our own will, death to habits, any habit that hinders our relationship with Christ. See, some things that we shouldn't do aren't because they stop our salvation. We shouldn't do them because they hinder others from coming to salvation. Which goes back to that thing about not my will, but his. Not just the way I want it, but the way he wants it. Death and crucifixion to self, to our own will, to control, to habits, any habit that hinders our relationship or anyone else's relationship with Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote on more than one occasion, I can, and he would name something, I can do it and I'm okay, but I know somebody else can't live that way, so I choose not to live that way, so I don't put a stumbling block in front of them. That's growth. And it only happens after death. Now here's one of the biggest issues in the church today, at least in America. This also means death to passiveness. Amen. 
We have way too many people who claim to be followers of Christ who are the most passive people on earth. I'm not talking personality. I mean passive in their faith. Faith in Christ cannot be passive. It can be passionate. But true faith in Christ cannot be passive. It can't be neutral. Jesus didn't go to the cross because of, eh, why not? That's passive. He went to the cross and endured the punishment for you and me because that's how much he loves you. That's not passive. Let's go back to that wedding ceremony again. And imagine being standing across from the person who looks at you and says, eh, why not? Yay! I don't think so. And yet we're treating Christ that way too often and wondering why we're not growing in our faith or our church isn't growing more. It is, can't happen passively. There needs to be a death to passive Christians operating without passion. There needs to be a crucifixion of your past. Christ forgives, but some of you are still holding on to that past, not able to let go of it yourself. Or you have somebody else around you who just keeps dropping in reminders to you. Jesus went to the cross so you don't have to hold on to your past. It may describe how you got here, but it does not need to prescribe where you go from here. It's called the past for a reason. And it requires a crucifixion and death of our sin. Our sins as in what we do that's against Christ and his will, and our sin, that sin nature that desires to do it our own way. There must be a death to that. Now I want you to understand, this is not an exhaustive list. I could stand here and go on for a long time if we needed to detail and we have a tendency, don't we, to look for loopholes. One reason that there are so many policies and rules in every and any organization is because you lay something out and somebody goes, well, it didn't mention this, so we can. So they have to create another one to cover that one. It's amazing how creative we can be to get around stuff, isn't it? What if we use that creativity to just do the right stuff? Instead of figuring out, well, what if? Crucifixion. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Does your life represent Christ in your daily living, in your daily habits, 
in your speech, in your attitudes, in your motives. If not, that stuff needs to die so that Christ becomes number one, so that we follow his will and his way, so we grow in our faith and impact others for him. This next phrase is one that just got to me this week in looking at this. Crucifixion means death, death to anything and everything that interferes with your life with Christ. And we listed a whole bunch of stuff. This means that you and I live in voluntary obedience. See, being obedient too often in our mind means doing something just because we're supposed to. And we do it, but we do it grudgingly, not voluntarily. And we certainly don't love it. We <laughs> do it to get along. Right? It's just easier, just do it. I think too many of us are trying that with Christ. Voluntary obedience is motivated by love and gratitude. Doing what Christ desires because we love him. Not because it's a rule. Doing what Christ desires because he loves us. And we're grateful for that. Not to keep from getting busted for doing the wrong thing. To grow requires obedience, but it needs to be an obedience that is voluntary, motivated and driven by love and gratitude because we have died to ourself. That produces growth. It starts in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not just showing up at church. I saw this phrase describing, I'm pulling this out of a context because it's too good to miss. So I have a question for you. If Christ is compelling you to, what's he compelling you or urging you to do? Fill in the blank. If Christ is compelling you, calling you to do something, what are you going to do? For you see, your growth in Christ is equal to your surrender to Christ. Your growth in Christ is equal to your surrender in and to Christ. Are you growing? Really growing in your faith? Or has it been hard? Are you growing in your faith? Or do the struggles just seem to smash you? Are you growing? Or have you let some stuff choke you out? Are you growing? 
and seeing that grow and grow, not just in you, but in others. We've been called to growth, but it starts with death. To be crucified with Christ. So that we can live with him and for him. Because your growth in Christ is equal to your sacrifice to Christ. Let's stand. I recognize this is not one of those messages where you walk out saying, boy, I sure feel better. It's an uncomfortable truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. It's a truth that we need to take as truth and act on it. Is there something that you have in your life that the Lord just kind of spotlighted during this message saying that's something you need to give up. That's something you need to die to. I have no idea what it might be. I know he worked on me this week. Reminded me of some stuff. We can rationalize Almost anything, can't we? But it's time instead to crucify it. To give it up. To put it to death so that we can live in and for Christ. With heads bowed, eyes closed. Just wonder if you're here this morning and would say, I didn't like this, Pastor, but I needed this. And the Lord showed me something or maybe some things that need to die. If that's true this morning and you're ready to let it be put to death so that you can live for him, This is the moment you're making that choice. Would you just raise your hand? The Lord's shown you and you're saying, okay, Lord, I'm doing it. Thank you. Now, the real challenge is that as you go to now live it. In fact, I encourage you to do this, to tell somebody else, what it is and ask them to help you be accountable to put it to death. Jesus, thank you for the uncomfortable truth of crucifixion. Not just what you went through. What you went through on our behalf and because of us but Lord, the crucifixion that we need in our life. And for some, you spoke clearly, and there's probably more that you spoke clearly to, but they're being honest. They're not ready to do that yet. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to pursue them, 
in conviction this week until they say yes. I pray that it would go through the airwaves and the internet to some who are watching online right now and some that will tune in later. And I pray that those who raise their hand would take the steps, would tell somebody else, would ask for some help and begin to live that crucified life that leads to growth that you've designed us and called us to. Lord, I want to be able to write and I want a whole bunch of us to be able to write in our own life what Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. May that be true as we obey. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen.